episode 18 of the Paul George Show welcomes Sister Miriam James. The family is a domestic church, and the bond of marriage and the bond of family, that is the most important gift you could give to your children and to your spouse as a recollected soul, so you're loving rightly. And yeah, there is no excuse for it. Either in religious life or in the lay state, it does look different, but it's so paramount for each of us. We have to daily encounter Christ. We have to. You know, what else are we doing? The Paul George Show! Welcome to the Paul George Show. This week, Sister Miriam James, what you get from being generous, and Paul's controversial religious name. And now, from Christ Our King Studios in Lafayette, Louisiana, the wonderful Paul George. Welcome to the show. Great to be with you today. Paul George in studio. Adam Conk, how's it going? It's going, man. We're we're into the new year. It's no longer Happy New Year anymore. It's just Happy Year. How's your mantra going? Good. You know, since last week, I uh, remembered it at least twice. Kuna Matata. Kuna Matata. <laughs> and uh, I didn't repeat it. That's the thing. I need to spread the word. I haven't gotten to that point yet. Right. Spread the message of Akuna Matata. Yeah. So anyway, great to be with you today. I uh, have a wonderful uh, guest on coming on later. I am thrilled uh, about this. Sister Miriam James, at One Groovy Nun. How about that Twitter handle? That's pretty neat. That's, yeah. That's one that I couldn't have. Like, it it's never interesting because she's a, she's a sister and nun, and I could never be as cool as her, no matter what. I mean, that's no matter true. what I did. And you try really hard to be cool. I, I just could never. And she doesn't try at all. And she's, she's exactly. She doesn't try. I, I think people who are cool, just, they don't even try. They just are. Mm-hmm. But I think cool is a relative term. I think anybody can be cool if yeah. they just act themselves. Yeah. I, I think for me, like, I think authenticity is cool. Do you? Yeah. You're attracted to that. I think you're cool. Paul, I mean, you're gonna make me cry on air. Not on air. Oh gosh. But anyway, in in your own way, you're cool. (laughs) Thanks, thanks for that caveat. You know, in your own special, non-cool way. In your own little (laughs) atom. You're pretty nifty. In your own little atom way. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. You're really, really cool. So anyway, um, you know, we're done with the Christmas season. It's the new year. We're our near time of life. Um, But uh, we were talking about last week about our mantra and and sort of this whole idea, but I I am fascinated with stories of saints. And the reason for that is because they they live fascinating lives. And I think a lot of times, Adam, we think their lives were sort of like, they did like really, really good things, but uh, certainly, um, but we often think I can never be like a saint. But if you read the stories of saints, they, they did sort of these little things with great love, as Mother Teresa said. You know, they were hidden in Christ and they were, they, they were serving and just living life for God and the life that God gave them. And they weren't trying to accomplish like really big things. They were just living radically for Christ, right? And so we kind of came around through the Christmas season. I was thinking about St. Nicholas and just his story. Oftentimes, I think through the whole uh, season of Christmas, we don't talk about this great saint. Uh, I mean, he comes from the early century. So the tradition of Santa Claus comes from St. Nicholas. But guess what, Adam? What? St. Nicholas was a real person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Lived and breathed. Lived and breathed sort of in the area of Greece, which is now like like, um, like Turkey Mm. area. Long time ago. Actually, the Greek Orthodox like have a huge devotion to this great saint, St. Nicholas, but, you know, he became a bishop and, uh, you know, he was a priest. 
Uh, but but really, what he did was he just loved people in ordinary day life. And so there was this man with with daughters, three daughters, I believe, who couldn't afford to basically have them, um, you know, marry someone. So you kind of had to pay for them to kind of, I guess, get connected with someone else and get mm-hmm. married. And and if that didn't happen, they were really kind of treated like prostitutes, hmm. you know. So they were, you know, mishaps in society. And this poor guy didn't have money for his daughters, and basically they were en route, you know, to prostitution. Just so Father Nicholas or Bishop Nicholas uh, would would sneak in, and he would he would put money in the guy's house, and for, just basically paying for his daughters to not go into prostitution. Hmm. Did you know that story? I heard a little bit about that, but I didn't hear it in that detail. Well, That's I could have made it, I could have made some of it up, but it's close. <laughs> It's close. A lot of people make up stories about St. Nicholas, but that one sounds pretty pretty good. Well, I, and that's the thing is like all a lot of the stories are made up or they're, you know, they're sort of I guess you could say blown out of proportion. But I like knowing really wh- what people really did and, and this is what he did in ordinary nights. So that's where we get the story. Santa Claus ultimately is this idea uh, of giving, but it's gotten way out of hand, mm-hmm. right? But here's the interesting thing. I was reading um, a recent study uh, that was done by psychologists. Now, this will shock you. Not at all. But the study was done. <laughs> basically, the study said this, is that um, people would rather give gifts or give things than to receive them. So they did this whole study of people who were given money and were able to either buy something for themselves or buy something for other people. Uh, and they did, did all during the Christmas season. And the study showed that hands down... Um, the numbers didn't even add up, uh, is that people who, who who gave were happier than people who received. Yeah, and of course we've, we've known that as Christians for quite a while, but the scientific backing is uh, pretty impressive because people listen to this kind of stuff. Like if I, for instance, if I share a quote from St. Francis that says the same thing or something like right, that, right. people might not listen to it. But if I say, hey, scientists studied this and they found. So I think it's important to have our faith backed up by, by good science. Yeah, so it says Liz Dunn and her colleagues appearing in the journal Science shows that people's sense of happiness is greater when they spend relatively more on others than on themselves. In the survey, Dunn and colleagues found that spending money on others predicted greater happiness, whereas spending money on oneself did not. And this pattern was found across all income levels. So it didn't matter how much money you had or what your background was. You were happier when you gave. And to me, this is this is this is the Christian life, right? Like mm. we find fulfillment, uh, we find happiness not when we receive and get. Certainly, um, those are good times and good things. But but when we serve and when we give, uh, and when we love others, this is what Christ calls us to. Yeah, and I think you've probably experienced the same thing I have when when I run into Christians that seem bored in their Christian walk or right. like, Hey, I'm just not getting out whatever. And the question is always, well, okay, are you sharing Christ with others? Cause right. I mean, the, the great gift that Christ is, we receive him so that we can give that great gift to other people. And that really is the, the Christian dynamic. Yeah. You know, 90% of what we teach, we remember the rest we forget. So if we're not, if we're not in a sense, um, sharing or, or serving, uh, we we just kind of forget, and guess what we do? We become all about us. Mm. Um, so it says in the Catechism, paragraph twenty ninety seven, the worship of the one God sets man free from turning in on himself. Hmm. 
So it's ultimately what God sets us free from is this, this idea that we're living life for us, for selfishness. And if you talk to anyone, I, I've never talked to anyone who was miserable after they, they gave <laughs> or, or, or they, they served or they, they loved or they did mission work mm -hmm. or they helped someone or they did a random act of kindness or they gave money or they supported yeah. a, a, a missionary or I've never met someone who's like, you know, that was the most miserable thing I ever did. <laughs> I just built a house for a poor family and I'm absolutely, you know, miserable. It was the worst mistake I ever made. Yeah. And I, I think in my life, one example is uh, having many children, which look, you know, I'm not saying every Catholic has to have a million children, but it's funny, you know, people kind of assume that there's a number where it's just going to be too much. But I've right. never met someone that said, you know what, things were going great until that last child. Right. And then it just fell apart. Right. <laughs> yeah, like I gave too much. Yeah. I sacrificed too much. Okay, have you seen this? This is an interesting sort of side note to all this, but but I found a fascinating article here. Um, and I know at first you're going to think, what? Uh, so in, in this poor country in Africa, um, the they have a mental hospital. Okay, so just like we do, people struggle with anxiety, depression, um, mental disorders, things like that, right? Here we have access to counselors, um, medication that, that can help with that process. There they don't, they don't have access to um, those types of things, right? Counseling, medications. And so they went to the drawing board and said, what can we do to help people who are struggling uh, mentally uh, with depression or anxiety or stress um, with their life. And so they came up with this concept. Listen to this. They built what they called friendship benches and they put them around the facility and people would sit on there with someone else, a, a, like a, like a mentor and they would simply talk about life. Hmm. And they found that people over time got better simply by having someone to talk to and by having a friend. Wow. So, their effective social media is a wooden bench. Their effective of Facebook <laughs> is an actual relationship with another human Imagine being. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> and, and then I thought to myself, how many people in our society, we walk through the grocery store or work or down our street or in our neighborhood, are struggling mm -hmm. with anxiety, with stress, with loneliness, with depression, and all they need to snap out of that and to move forward in their life is a friend, is a friendship, is someone who is, is aware enough to build a relationship with someone else and to make an actual uh, change and impact in their life. These are the things that Christ is calling us to as Christians, to actually impact people's lives. So, so in a sense, uh, build a friendship bench in your life where you invite people uh, in the relationship and, and help them out. I mean, whether it's in the grocery store or in your neighborhood or wherever the case may be. Friendship benches, I like that. Are you going to get one at your house? Yeah, this is not a radical concept. This is like <laughs> the human existence. This is like a life, yeah. right? Yeah. Living it in relationship with people. And those relationships can have a major impact on someone else's life. Maybe we could make Paul George show friendship benches. Become a partner. We'll send you a bench. <laughs> Anyway, Paul George Show will be right back with At One Groovy Nun.
Welcome back to the show. It's great to be with you, Paul George in studio. And uh, as I guess I could say predicted or anticipated, our guest today, Sister Miriam James. Sister, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Paul. How are you? Thanks for having me on your show. Great. Thanks for taking the time. Look, I got to get straight to it. People want to know, how in the world did you come up with your Twitter handle, at one groovy nun? Uh, that's a good question. I, I was just looking for something kind of catchy, yeah. but I don't know. I, and I just was looking at different people's Twitter handles, and I just, I don't know, I just picked that one. So I know Groovy is like predates my time, but it's fun and makes people laugh, which is the whole point. So Well, there's there's none other. <laughs> that was good. You like that? It is fun. Yeah, yes, that was a good one because I don't ever hear none jokes like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> anyway, sister, thanks for taking the time. Uh, I know I know you're busy living the religious life, but tell us where are you? Uh, where do you normally live and and do you, and serve? Because you know a lot of people who don't know you or who do, you speak all over the country and give talks and, uh, but that's just a little bit of what you do day to day. You live in Salt Community. Where are you? I do, yes. I, I'm part of the, uh, the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, S-O-L-T, and I live in Corpus Christi, Texas. So I live in a convent with other sisters, and I actually my main job in the community is I serve as a personal assistant to one of our superiors. So I pretty much show up in the morning and ask her what she wants me to do, and I do it. So wow. <laughs> uh, we live on the country, on the countryside in Corpus Christi, among the fine Texans. So, yeah, it's a very simple and beautiful life. Yeah, that's awesome. It must be kind of you know, because when you and I see each other, we're, we're usually at a conference, you know, mm-hmm. and, and speaking. And then to be able to just go back to normal life and kind of hidden and and silence, it's got to be good for you, particularly if I know this correct, you're an introvert, right? <laughs> I am very introverted, yes. Yeah. So as you and I both know, it takes a lot to recharge your batteries, right? So, right. Yeah, I think it's very good to go home and like you do, just to go home and be a person and cook yep. and clean and go grocery shopping and mow the lawn and, and do all the things that everybody else does. So that's very important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of times, here's what I love about your Twitter handle is that it just makes you real and human. Um, but, but knowing you as a person, you and I have gotten to know each other is just, uh, you, you know, you're a nun, you're a sister, but you're, you're real, you're, you're authentic. And I think a lot of times people look at nuns and they're like, Oh, they're just they're, I, I can't relate to them, but you're very relatable. And, I think that's the beauty of what you do, which is what I want to kind of get into here real quick is uh, uh, you launched a book this past year, a year ago, around about, I don't know the exact date, um, called Loved As I Am. Tell me a little bit about Mm -hmm. this project and and what birthed uh, this book. Yes, well, a few years ago, Ave Maria Press. Uh, approached me and they asked me, you know, they said, we'd seen some of your YouTube videos. Do you think you could write a book for us? Right. And so I, I kind of presented kind of a catechetic. At the time, I was really teaching on what it means to be human, and I still love that, but that was kind of what I was doing at the time. And I sent them a chapter on kind of my teaching of what it means to be human, and they <laughs> they were very gracious, and they sent it back, and they said, you know, this is great, but we really think you're funny, and you're a very real person, so could you kind of weave more of your own story into it? And so that's kind of where it came. It's really, you know, in a sense, like a book form of maybe a talk that I would give or a parish mission that I would give of of what it means to be human. It includes, you know, brokenness. It includes redemption. It includes hope for the future. And 
it's, you know, how we live our life of, of how we long for love and we desire love and how we desire to be transformed even in our deep brokenness. So mm. really, ultimately, it's a, it's a short book. It's only 100 pages long, and it's got discussion questions at the end of every chapter. And my really my desire is when, you know, people close the book, they say, okay, you know, I want to get honest about my life. I want to finally tell some secrets, or I want to grow closer in intimacy with Christ, or I want to finally open this part of my heart to God. You know, it just it's a really a small invitation to something deeper, and that's my whole desire for the whole thing. So is your hope, like when people read the book, that uh, mm-hmm. they, they kind of just take that next step or the, even that first step in a relationship with God, or what? Definitely. Well, both. Yeah, definitely. And at the end of the book, I have resources that go deeper, you know, areas like the John Paul II Healing Center and the right. Theology of the Body Institute. And because I really, I'm a firm believer, conversion is a daily process. Yeah. Intimacy is a daily a daily encounter with Christ. And I pers- I'm always growing ever more deeply every day with Christ. And there's, so there's so much more, you know, there's always more. I love that, you know, like Chronicles of Narnia, you know, it just, it just gets better all the time. And so it's just always a deeper invitation to a further encounter with the one who loves us. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where can I find this book? Like where can people get a hold of this book? Um, well, you can buy Loved As I Am on Amazon. It's very easy to find on Amazon. It's in paperback. It's in Kindle version. You can also buy it uh, on Ave Maria Press, the website okay. for the bookseller. Um, you might be able to find it in your local Catholic bookstore as well or Christian bookstore. Sometimes at Barnes & Noble they have it too, but Amazon is probably the easiest way so, to find it. So Loved As I Am, Sister Miriam, mm-hmm. you can find it online. Do you have the, the book version where you, where you read it and people can listen to the audio? <laughs> Oh no! You know what? That's a good idea. I love to read to people. So I would, I, um, I would pay twice as much for the book <laughs> it, if you would read it to me. <laughs> like tuck you in at night. You know, Your like voice is great. It's like it's like so you know, you know, great. It's 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 oh. yeah. So you know, there are people who have the book and they read it. Like you should, you should do that. You should read the book, put it on audio. Um, a matter of fact, I'm going to talk to Adam about doing this for you and then, and then okay. people can buy the audio and then they could just drive in their car and it's like sister is reading to them. <laughs> I would, I would totally do that. We should, we should get that up. That would be very impressed. It's not a bad idea. They might fall asleep. <laughs> oh, I fall asleep. You know? It's like, <laughs> oh, sister's road, voice like, was so no, soothing. I fell idea. asleep driving my car. <laughs> uh, so that's what, that's, that's my, um, uh, that's my big initiative for you right there okay that's that's a good idea yeah absolutely an idea yeah we're gonna we're gonna make it happen because because then when i come out with my book uh, i'm gonna i talked about like hiring like um um samuel l jackson to read my book (laughs) (laughs) okay so here's a question not a bad idea if you could hire a voice of someone to read your book in audio form who would you get Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, I don't know. Probably something, somebody epic. I'm thinking like Lord of the Rings version or something. I don't really have to be like dramatic. Okay. I'm not really. Maybe Kate Blanchett. Maybe a nice British accent would be nice. See, no, I, even though I'm not too no, I, I think a British accent people would would listen to. So, so Liam Neeson. <laughs> I was my second choice. Okay. See, there you go. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good thing to think about. I haven't thought about that, but I, I, I do. I could probably come up with a few people. Yeah, yeah. Or you could. I could read your book in mm-hmm. an Australian accent. 
It's horrible. It, that it would be really, really confusing for people. But I'm sure that they would, after a while, kind of just you know, just be open to it. Like, okay, whatever. This is weird, but I'll do it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So you talked about mowing grass and, and going home after these conferences. Mm-hmm. What is the day in a life of you as a sister living in a community look like? What's the rhythm look like? Well, our whole day is really based around prayer, which is the most important thing. So if I'm not spending time with my beloved, I really have nothing else to offer anybody. So we start off the day with Holy Hour. So I get up actually an hour before Holy Hour and pray before even that. I think my favorite times are the times early, early in the morning with a cup of coffee and just utter silence. Which is what time? Uh, I get up about 5.15. Okay. And, yeah, and just sit for an hour really before, 45 minutes before kind of get ready for holy hour and uh and just i just love that's my favorite time and then to shop for holy hour and then morning prayer and then we have mass at eight o'clock in the morning awesome and then the rest of it depends on kind of what i'm being asked to do by my superior sometimes it's practical things and sometimes i need to run errands for her and uh then we all come together we all each have our own jobs and so then we come back together at our convent and at five o'clock and we have um evening prayer at five thirty and a rosary together and then we each take turns cooking. So we cook dinner, and then we eat together as a family in our convent. And we do the dishes, and then we have night prayer. So we read the readings for the next day for Mass and have a reflection, or we pray the, the office of readings for the next day in the Liturgy of the Hours, and then we pray night prayer together. I'm and in. Um, that kind of ends our day. So it's bookended by prayer mm. throughout the day, though, obviously, as well. I'm in. You just sold me. You <laughs> I'm, I'm in. Yeah, but you have a wife and four kids, so you have like other things yeah, to do. Yeah, but I do think, uh, sister, oftentimes people will make excuses, <clears throat> lay people, who say, you know, I can't have that same rhythm um, as mm. a religious person and I can't pray. But but the way you explain it to me, okay, is you wake up early and you pray and then your holy hour and mass and then you work, right? You do work all day and then mm-hmm. in the evening uh, oh, yeah. you, you get together with your, your community, with your family and, and you and you pray and then, and, and then y'all eat and have fun. Um, that's no different than I, what I think our lives should look like as lay people. It looks a little bit different in, in the interaction, but you know, we should get our prayer in and, and, and go to mass and then, and then work all day and spend time with our family. And then, you know, you, I, I think oftentimes we make excuses and certainly as, as a religious, you might have a little bit more time than I do, uh, to do mm-hmm. some of those things with prayer, but it doesn't mean that I shouldn't try to have a rhythm in my life to make prayer the most essential thing, right? Oh, amen, Paul. That is so true. Yes, definitely. I mean, because that's really the family is a domestic church and the bond of marriage and the bond of family. That is the most important gift you could give to your children and to your spouse as a recollected soul, yeah. really. So you're loving rightly. And yeah, there is no, you're right. There is no excuse for it, either in religious life or in the lay state. It, you're right. It does look different. But it's so paramount for each of us. We have to daily encounter Christ. We have to. Right. Otherwise, you know, what else are we doing? Yeah, we, and it's like you said, like, for your community, if you don't pray, you have nothing else to offer. And Amen. I think that's true for all of us. And I think we have to be convinced of that. All people who are listening and lay people, we, we can't really make excuses anymore. We have to make God the most essential part of our life, and that includes making prayer a huge priority in our life. Okay, sister, stick around. When we come back, we're going to find out how you went from a college volleyball player to a nun. We'll be right back. It's Paul George Show.
Welcome back to The Paul George Show, episode 18. We're talking with Sister Miriam James. Here's Paul. Welcome back to the show. Paul George, great to be with you. I have Sister Miriam James from Salt Community at One Groovy Nun on Twitter. Great to be with you today, Sister. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you weren't always a sister. You weren't always a nun. I mean, you grew up, no. you went to school, uh, you went to college, and lo and behold, you're a college ba- uh, volleyball player, um, mm-hmm. which is crazy uh, and awesome because you and I are both sports fans. Um, yes. Yeah, so you're college volleyball, you go to college. How in the world do you go from that to being a nun? Well, I had a radical conversion, and I grew up Catholic. My mom and dad were very Catholic my, um, when I was, you know, after I was born, and so uh, we went to church every Sunday, and my mom was faithful her whole life. My dad actually converted to marry my mom, but they were both wonderful, And but I'd never fallen in love with Christ. Hmm. I learned the rules, and I learned about, you know, you don't do this, or you're going to go to hell, and I kind of learned a negative, fear-based idea of God. So I'd never fallen in love. I'd never, I just, I don't know, it just somehow bypassed me, and so... But I fell in love with sports, that's for sure. And so I you know, was a senior in high school, I was offered a full ride to play volleyball at a D1 university in Nevada, and so I took it. And uh, I wanted to work for ESPN. I just had all these ideas for my life. But I also had, and this is what I talk about a lot in the book, is this kind of concurrent story running where I had a lot of brokenness as well. And if you've ever been to a 12-step meeting or if any of your listeners have, um, you're going to hear a saying that says, we're only as sick as our secrets. Hmm. And by the time I was 21 years old, here I was, you know, a senior in college and kind of on the outside, carefully, carefully crafting a well-crafted facade of, I'm fine, everything's fine. But the truth was, I was an alcoholic, my life was a mess, and I just hated myself, a lot of depression, just a lot of brokenness, and kind of crying, I was crying out, not kind of, just utterly crying out for something more, like there has to be more to life than this. And what God had done a few years before that was He actually brought a Catholic priest into my life who radically changed how I saw God, and this man was the first person I'd ever met that was authentically holy, that I could recognize as authentically holy, and he wasn't perfect, he had his own issues, but he'd been a priest a long time, and he was such a good father to me, and that man flat out loved God, like, walked with God, loved God, God was the center of his universe, and he was also funny, and you could say anything you wanted to him, and he would always tell you the truth, and I just remember looking at his life, and, you know, Pope Benedict says that the one who has hope lives differently, and it was so obvious, Father just lived differently, and I said, Father, I was like, I I don't know what you've got, like, I don't know what that is, but I want it. Like, I want that. And it was just a long, slow conversion process of suffering and falling and getting back up again and suffering and falling, and until, you know, after I graduated from college, um, I heard Jesus call me. I had a distinct moment where I heard God call me to religious life. And I said yes, and um, that was over 18 years ago. And as you know, love is very challenging. It's the best thing I've ever done, the most challenging thing I've ever done. But I'm so grateful that God called me. I, yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. Man, that's crazy. I mean, and that is the story of vocation, right? Like, we hear God's mm-hmm. call, but it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy, you know? It's not. It's not always easy. And I think especially for our generation that's so used to instant gratification. And my parents, my mom and dad were married until the day my dad died. And so I had a strong, you know, kind of witness of marriage. But many times in religious life, I remember thinking, well, if this is not fun anymore, I can just go do something else. And I was horrified at my own. And we're not millennials, you know, like we're 
you know, of the next generation or the early generation. I'm like, what is this purification of, gosh, it's all about me? Or, you know, what about the perfection of excellence, you know, and all the pursuit of excellence and how God forms us? And, and you know, love, love requires excellence. It requires the best version of ourselves. And, and that's what Christ does in everyday life, burning away our ego and our vanity and our self-centeredness to make us truly human. And that's really all we want anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I remember a spiritual director telling me, you know, because in, in any vocation, you know, it's not easy. Life's hard. I, I think a lot of people today struggle with idealism. You know, we want this ideal oh life, an ideal world, an ideal vocation, an ideal spouse, an ideal community. And we could go on and on, the ideal job. And the, the reality is that that's just not reality. And uh, I remember my spiritual director saying um, this word. He just kept saying, remember. I was like, remember what? He's like, you, you have to look back and remember when God told you to do this. And so when it gets hard, you can go back and remember that this is what you're supposed to do. So the day that you're struggling in your marriage or your vocation, just remember that God told you this is what he wants you to do. And, you know, that, that word remember just is constant even in my own life. And I think you probably would say the same, wouldn't you? Yes, that is such great advice. You know, you go back to those glorious mysteries of your life. You know, when you encounter the sorrowful mysteries, you go back to the glorious ones. Mm. And, you know, remember that, yeah, God will speak again. And it's, yeah, that's such great advice. It's, and it's so true. And I, you know, especially like we talked about, you know, everybody has like a feed now, a social media feed of everybody's filtered best moments. And you look at everybody else's life and you say, oh my gosh, I'm pretty sure I had the lamest life ever. Because, <laughs> right. you know, you don't see the whole story. And every Everybody suffers, everybody struggles, and everybody yep. has joys and triumphs. And that's yep. this beautiful thing called life. And it's worth living to the full for all of it. Yeah, which I think is so amazing that, you know, in mass, you know, say, you know, do this in remembrance of me, that that, that word remember would, would, would call us to the reality of, of who Christ is, but, but draw us back to remembering even in our own life what God has done and continues to do in our life. Because as humans, we forget so easy and we can wallow in our own pain and brokenness and we can mask it, as you're saying, on social media or out there that said, you know, everything's fine. I'm good. You know? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, to always, I mean, is I know some of the great spiritual writers say that, you know, we suffer from chronic spiritual amnesia. We forget who we are. And so we always need that. Isn't that the word, what the word Adam means, I believe, in the Old Testament? It means to remember, Zakar, to remember. Mm-hmm. It's like written in the depths of who we are as human beings, to remember who God is and who we are in His sight. And that changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. So so you discern religious life, and you, you enter into the religious community. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, how much has, has a community uh, played an effect on helping you to mature as a person, both, both in the, in the human and in the spiritual realm? Oh, it's been everything. I mean, Christianity is meant to be lived in a fellowship, not in isolation. And I honestly could not, I would not be where I am today. And I I wouldn't be able to remain faithful without the sisters that I live with. They inspire me. They, you know, they challenge me. They correct me. They many times or sometimes, you know, they encourage you, but sometimes they're the, the sandpaper that kind of, you know, edges away the rough edges of my soul where I'm selfish and self-centered and oh my gosh yes we need one another so deeply and I'm so grateful for every single one of them I'm so grateful for community it's such a great gift from God yeah I think that's what people are so fascinated by with religious life kind of looking from the outside in this idea of community 
And then I, I want to get get to this and, and translate it into maybe the, the normal person's life who, who, who doesn't live the religious life. If we live out, if we don't have community in our life, people in our life, we, we're, we will stop growing. We will atrophy mm-hmm. in our life. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes people live apart. They, they live separated from community, even within their own families, for the most part. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think one of the deepest struggles that we have right now in society is isolation. Like yeah. Mother Teresa, St. Mother Teresa said that. Like that's the deepest poverty is isolation. And you have those walls where you don't speak vulnerably from the heart and maybe it's not a safe place. And so we just kind of try to muscle our way on through life without really having these deep, meaningful relationships where we have to be seen. Like I have to have people in my life that see me and know me that can call me out when I've forgotten like right. who I am and if call, can call me out when I'm trying to hide, where they love me enough to tell me the truth. And right. we, we have to have that. You know, you see that in the Acts of the Apostles. You see that in the disciples with Christ, this day-to-day encounter of real authentic living, and we all need that. Do you guys play games? Every now and then, yeah. <laughs> we had a Christmas party where we had some of our priests had us over, and we played, like, Cranium. We played... Uh, taboo. We laughed so hard. Like I mean, we're all adults too. It was so much fun. Yeah, but we like to watch sports too. I'm a huge sports fan. So yeah. I like watching some college football. And all yeah, that. we have all the games on, but we over the holiday we we just started playing games again, and it was so That's great. Fun. You know, um, mm-hmm. but are are you still as competitive in Pictionary as you were on the volleyball court? <laughs> I like to pretend that I'm not, but right. I have a sneaking suspicion that I probably am. But, no, I try to tone it down a bit. But, yeah, I don't want to lose. Like, come on, man, I want to win. So we try. Try to be charitable about it as much as, you know, like your humble facade will allow you. <laughs> yeah, here's the problem I have is I just refuse to let my kids win. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Yeah, like I, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to raise narcissists here. Like they're, they're going to know the reality <laughs> of what, what it feels like to lose. <laughs> Dad just crushed you. But that way that when they finally beat me or when they do beat me, they understand what victory is. Now, in card games, they get me there all the go. time. But, like, you know, if we're pounding the basketball or something like that, I'm just not I'm just not going to not going to do it. But I hate to lose even still in a board game. So I have to almost temper it and just say it's okay <laughs> just to play and have fun. I know. We keep telling ourselves that, don't we? Maybe one day we'll believe it, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe so. I, I would. Uh, you you should. Uh, yeah, we should we should do that one day. I I would love to be in your community one day in the game of Pictionary, you know, or like oh. Cranium. That would be fun. That'd be really good. You should see it because we have we have a lot of former athletes. We have a lot of you know. It's funny we have all different personalities. Everybody from doctorates and you know theology to canon lawyers to. I mean, it's funny to see everybody get together and just play game it's, it was we really honestly had a great time we laughed so hard that's amazing all the different personalities so you find out <laughs> a lot about people when you play games i mean you really do you do yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah, sister um i want to remind people about your book loved as i am they can find it online on uh, amazon or on ave maria press website of course they can follow you on twitter at one groovy nun um and uh, you, you sent a lot of inspirational things out there. But more importantly, uh, sister, you're just a great witness of trying to live holy. And I appreciate that about you. Oh, thanks, Paul. It's been great to be your friend. And I just really, we're in the journey together. And I really appreciate that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be praying for you. And 
got to have you back on soon. God bless you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you too. show i'm loving that music man it's getting the head bobbing yeah adam you've been quiet over there what a fascinating interview sister miriam <laughs> yes at one groovy nun at one groovy nun and she really is one you know she I, is groovy when i heard that twitter handle i was like maybe she's not one but then after hearing her speak yeah she is and one. like i said like she's just cool and and that that's it but she said she's I'm not i mean of the many profound things she said one was, there's no greater gift you can give your spouse than a recollected soul. It was like an arrow was shot from Corpus Christi, Texas to right hmm. here. Well, what did that mean to you? It means, look, if I really want to love my wife and kids and give them the best of myself, I have to have a prayerful, recollected, joyful, peaceful soul. Amen. That, that's, a, that's a profound thing to think about. Yeah. The most profound thing she said to me was that she wanted to win. In the, of course. in the game she was playing. Of course. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, great to have her on. Uh, you could, uh, at One Groovy Nun, you can find her in her book, Love As I Am. But anyway, uh, the, the show will be up on podcast as well. So if people miss the show, it'll be on um, iTunes or on my website, paulgeorge.la. So anyway, Adam, six pack of questions. All right, Paul. So... I got six questions for you here. Number one. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't bring this up because okay. you normally say this to a guest. I do. And I was actually curious about it this time. I have a pattern. Where Where did you meet her? Where did I meet sister? Yeah. Um, I met her at a conference. Yeah, we were speaking at it together and nobody ever heard of her. You know, she was just, yeah, we brought her in to speak and she was super nervous and it was like her really? first conference. Yeah. And uh, so I was there, and we, we just connected, got to know each other, and then she ended up coming down here, and she met my wife, and yeah, she's been great. So now she's, you know, yeah. now she's on top of the Catholic world. <laughs> yeah. Now she's way up there. She's I'm down Catholic here. I'm like, famous. Sister, can you invite me? <laughs> so okay. so that's, that's how we met. But yeah, she's super humble and great. So Yeah, yeah. All right. Question number two. Yep. So she has a pretty cool religious name. Miriam James. Yeah. It's pretty neat. So if you were religious, yeah. what would your religious name be? Oh. <laughs> um, you could think for like a second, but then yeah. you have to tell me. Like, like mm. brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, wow. Um, you know, I have literally have never. You've never thought of that. Thought about is, that. You're thinking on yeah. there. It would probably be like um, Thunder. <laughs> yeah son of thunder thunder of the that, cross that's scriptural the in in thunder. in new testament who's the who's the son of thunder the son of thunder yeah i don't know you're gonna have to look it up oh oh yeah james and okay yeah zebedee thank you they're the sons of okay so, sons of thunder yeah yeah mm -hmm. so i didn't make that up you didn't no so anyway <laughs> my religious name would be thunder thunder of the cross Thunder of the Cross. Oh, gosh. That's pretty good. I mean, you could just keep your actual name. Those are two saint names, Paul George. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But I I could put Thunder at the front end. <laughs> Thunder Paul. Thunder Paul. <laughs> All right, question number three. You seemed really jealous of Sister's daily life. 
what what's the main thing you wish you could add to your life from hers gosh were you not like when yeah. she was talking about her rhythm yeah your face like seemed jealous. yeah now i wasn't thinking i want to leave my life and go to hers right i was thinking i want a rhythm of life in my own life even more so even better but if you could take one thing from her column and put it in your column but i was also be? thinking i i do long for more solitude mm -hmm. and more rhythm and i love that about religious communities I, I think, you know, people who, you know, all religious live in community because it keeps them in rhythm, just as you and I live in a community of a family. Mm -hmm. You know, so she wakes up at 5.15, so does my wife, to pray, right? So, like, there's no difference there. Yeah. The rhythm's a little bit different. Our work's different. But I think what I felt when she was saying that is that there was space for God to sort of move and speak. And I find oftentimes in my life my day is so structured in a sense of like, okay, I, I got prayer in and then I go right to this and then right to that and then right to this. There, There is not, I'm going to give an hour, maybe God just wants to do something else. Mm -hmm. I'll just rest. I'll just go into the chapel and do nothing. You know, a little bit of space there. I don't find it in, in my life that I have enough of that quiet space. Amen. Mm. So, All right, question number three. Or four. I think I skipped one. You did. So this is question number two. No, no, it's a question. So <laughs> two of tell, six. You could tell sister's a reader. Yeah. Because she said that her book was short, only a hundred pages. Right. Which in today's world, a short book is like twelve pages because mm. of people's attention span. What's the longest book you've ever read, other than the Bible? Other. Of course, the Bible's like seventy-three books technically. But the Bible. Yeah, the, the longest book you've read. I don't know. I I really don't. I've read a lot of books. I don't know the longest. Well, let's talk about length. 500 pages, 300 pages. So I don't read fiction, just FYI. FYI. Okay. So I'm not like reading the Narnia series. Okay. I, I'm just not. I would rather read some nonfiction stuff. Um, so, I mean, I've read the Catechism. That's pretty long. It's a big one. Took me a while. Yeah. That's so pretty long. I wrote a study guide on the Catechism. Did you? So I had to read it all the Yeah. Was that after you wrote your song with, with Matt Moore? You were shocked, <laughs> by the way. If you, if you don't know what we're talking about, listen to last week's show. <laughs> Last segment, <laughs> Adam had this aha moment, which was great. It was great. All right. You didn't know I was a songwriter. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Thunder. Thunder. Thunder Paul. <laughs> um, question number five. Yeah. So she described a very dramatic conversion process mm -hmm. in her life. Yeah. Uh, what was your most dramatic conversion moment? Reader's Digest version. Reader's Digest. Yeah, her story is really fascinating, and I think that's what's so powerful about her speaking. Like when she speaks, she's very relatable to people. Um, but her moment of leaving the old life and 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 falling Christ in the new life is a pretty powerful story. She and I kind of have similar stories, but mine would probably have been a little bit earlier than hers. Hers was more towards the end of college. Mine would have been more at the beginning of college. But uh, yeah, it was just this like, Lord, if you're real show me because my life's miserable and I'm doing really stupid things and making horrible choices and you know I'm unhappy and there's got to be more to life and so God if you're real make yourself known to me and and God began to move in that prayer and shift gears in my life and and grace moved I think the grace from my baptism and and in confirmation that I get kicked out of confirmation class and did you really yeah and luckily the bishop let me back in and I got confirmed <laughs> Years and years later, that grace, I think, was huge in my conversion. Mm -hmm. 
and and then yeah it was just like i had to walk away from an old life and into the new life christ had for me so so yeah there was there was definitely moments where it was you know not everybody has those moments but not everybody does stupid things like i did mm. and and needs to leave behind the old life but a lot of times the 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 stuff that we're struggling with or people are struggling with are internal and so there's a conversion that's internal you know so you may not be living this sinful outward life but inside you may not be happy and even there god wants to restore your life uh to bring newness and to allow conversion to happen there in your life but she said this she said conversion's ongoing it's mm-hmm. not just a one-time thing mm-hmm. right right or that's the idea at least yeah, well, the r- word conversion in the Greek means to rethink, to rethink our lives. So over and over, we're constantly being moved and challenged to grow, to rethink our life the way we're living our life and the way we should be living our life through the lenses of God, under, under the shadow of his, of his authority, and, and thus moving into a new life with him over and over and over again throughout our life. Hmm. All right. Are question. you are you thinking right I'm now? I'm thinking. I'm rethinking. You're actually. rethinking. You're rethinking the last question. Converting on air. This is good stuff. Right here. All right. So, last question. Question number six. Yep. So I've noticed about great religious nuns that because they are so strong from prayer, from community, from all the good things in life, um, they can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been intimidated by a nun? Well, my first grade teacher was a nun, Sister Papalini. Papalini? Yep. She was Italian, and we called her Sister Papa Willie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And she did not like that. And one day, she overheard me saying Sister Papa Willie, and she popped a Willie on my hand with a ruler. <laughs> she popped a Polly. <laughs> she popped thunder, man. And uh, um, I was super intimidated by her. Yeah, she scared me to death. Have you seen her since? That year or like um no i don't i don't i don't know if she's alive anymore i have to find out but there have been people like that in my life that i've had to go back and apologize to <laughs> just be like i'm so sorry sorry i was such a jerk i was an idiot that was before i became thunder i would know it was first grade <laughs> but but yeah so there have been some religious honestly the religious that are joyful they're so attracting mm-hmm. you know their vocation is so powerful by their joy and I think, you know, when you looked at like St. Mother Teresa, I, I'm enthralled by her life. She seemed very stoic. Most of the images we have of her when, when she was mainly older. Um, and she seemed a little bit more kind of uh, melancholic, focused, introverted. But her smile mm-hmm. overshadowed all that. Like you could tell there was a joy in her life. She didn't seem intimidating because of her joy. And I think that joy is just so inviting, as Sister Miriam has and some of these other sisters. And I'm sure Sister Papalini was joyful. I just never saw it. I'm sure she probably had a I'm hard sure time. I'm sure in the teacher's lounge she was telling the other ones, guess what little Paul did today? It was so funny, but I had to... I had to. He called me Sister Papa Willie. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never heard that one before. He's so creative. <laughs> so creative. Anyway, great great show today. Uh, great being with you, Adam. Thanks so much. Thanks to Sister Miriam James. You can find the show on podcast, on iTunes, at Google Play, on the website, and uh, all of the above. So, anyway, Paul George Show. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.